You're listening to the She is Fierce radio show. She is Fierce connects women to each other and their dreams. You'll meet incredible women who all have one thing in common. They took a leap. They've got passion. They're on a mission. They're doing exciting and rewarding things. And they want to help you take your big leap. And now your host, She is Fierce founder, Kelly Youngs. Hey everyone, this is Kelly Youngs, founder of She Is Fierce and host of the She Is Fierce podcast. If you have ever been told no, you will appreciate today's podcast. If you're an aspiring writer, you will appreciate today's podcast. And if you love an underdog story or the story of someone who follows their heart, Brenda's story is for you. Brenda Jackson is the best-sellingest African-American romance novelist and the first African-American romance author to make the New York Times and USA Today bestseller lists. She has published more than 100 novels and novellas and has more than 10 million books in print. She was a 2012 NAACP Image Award nominee and has received many awards, like the Romance Writers of America's Nora Roberts Lifetime Achievement Award and the Pioneer Award in Writing from Romantic Times Magazine. Her talk and the question and answer session afterwards will teach you a little about the publishing industry and get you thinking about what you want to write. And if you're not a writer, it will inspire you to think beyond boundaries and never accept a no, or assume that you're not enough just because someone else says so. Brenda's talk always sticks out in my mind as one of the most inspiring to me personally, and I hope it will be for you too. my beginning and what it took me to get to where I am having I'm working on my 114th novel I retired in 2008 after 37 year um, 37 years with State Farm Insurance Company in management while I was working at State Farm I wrote over 50 books I had made the New York Times and BET had made a movie of one of my books. And people would ask me, well, why are you still here? <laughs> the president of the company said, you're still with us? I'm like, yes, I'm still here because I was Miss Corporate America. But I knew there was something more for me to do and I wanted to write more books, even though my husband didn't understand how could you write more, because even working full time, I was publishing at least six books a year. Yes, six books a year. I know a lot of people say, I've, I'm just writing one. That's good if you write that one. But I was inspired. And to tell you why I was inspired, let me tell you some more about me. I write stories that I enjoy writing. You know, they say you like to read a certain type of book. Well, I love romance. I love romance. 
from the time I was a little girl, I enjoyed reading Cinderella, Snow White, any book that had, and they lived happily ever after. <laughs> that was the key for me. It had to have a happy ending. How many of you read Bridges of Madison County? Okay, I've reread, I've rewritten that book, the ending. Because <laughs> if you read it, you know it didn't have a happy ending. So I'm like, no, it has to have a happy ending. No way I would have left them hanging all these years without a happy ending. So I only watch movies. I only wanted to watch movies and read books that had happy endings. So to escape into a world of that's not how it is. If I wanted to see how it is, I could cut on the television and I could hear all the things that's happening. People read books to escape. They read a good mystery. They read a good sci-fi. They know, okay, this is not really how it is. A car is not going to come back from the dead just like it did in a Stephen King novel. I don't have to worry about zombies whenever I walk the street. But you read to escape. And it's no different than a writer who wants to write. You pick a topic that you want to write about and you write. With me, tell you a little bit of background of what happened. When I was in the eighth grade, I always wanted to write, and I had a fixation with Gidget and Moondoggy. How many of you remember Gidget and Moondoggy? I know, we're telling our ages. I know, I know, I know. Okay. And I could just imagine Gidget and Moondoggy. I love their story. Sandra D, Bobby Darren, Gidget and Moondoggy. So, to entertain my classmates when I was in the eighth grade, I wrote my own Gidget and Moondoggy. And I would get to school and I would pass out, and this is notebook paper, long hand, and I would pass them out to my classmates. It showed me that I have an imagination. Oh, I could think of a lot of stuff. And, but that wasn't really what I felt like I wanted to do. I went to college graduate of JU, and I got a degree in business administration. But there was always something within me that said, you need to write a book. And what could be more perfect than for you than a romance book? And the reason being, I met the young man that I subsequently married when I was 14. Yes. I still proudly wear the going steady ring he gave me when I was 15. We got married a year out of me graduating from high school when I was only 19. And until he passed away two years ago, we were together 47 years. And during the, those times, you know, when we got married, I set some ground rules. I was the oldest of six kids. I was the live-in babysitter at my family's home. So I said, no kids right away. I don't care how many times the family asked, how, when are you having a child? I, I want to wait at least six to seven years. 
We waited six years before we had any children. So what we did, we got to know the two of us before there became the three of us. And we became the very best of friends. He inspired me and he became my very best friend. And when I worked at State Farm Insurance Company and I was moving up the corporate ladder, I had to take all these exams for different designation. I have my IIA, my COU, my CPCU, all of those types of designations and you have to study all these exams. So I needed something to break the monotony of reading so much academia books. So a friend invited me to go with her to a writer's conference. And there I met the woman that will always be a treasure in my life. And some of you I'm sure have read her books by the name of Nora Roberts. I don't know what Nora saw in me, but we had to do a um, assignment in class where she gave us a word and we had to write a paragraph. When she got to my table, I had written three pages. <laughs> and she said, this is good. I said, thank you. She said, have you ever thought of writing? I said, I did it when I was in school, but that was years ago. She said, it may be something you want to take back up. Those words inspired me so much. When I returned home, I told my husband, I need to write. But first, I want to see what's out there, what everyone is reading. And this is before seven, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, mind you, okay? <laughs> this was back in the 90s. And so a friend gave me a book called Shanna. Anyone has ever read Shanna by Kathleen Whittewith? It's a historical novel set in England. I read that book, like, yeah, but I don't want to go way back in England. I want something modern day. So I start reading Nora's book, Nora Roberts' books, and I read um, other books, Nora Roberts. I read the Bahar McGregor series. She had a series of books, and that's one thing Nora said, that when you start writing, do a family saga. Because when you do a family saga, people want to know the family. And if you write 10 books into that family saga and someone come along and pick up book number nine, they want, if they really want to know the family, they're going to go back and get the other eight books. So I'm like, yeah, that's good in sales. <laughs> and so that was really good advice. So when I started writing, I came up with a family saga and I named the family the Madarises. And they were... <laughs> And they were brothers, cousins, set in Texas. Because I have this thing for cowboys. <laughs> I know. Yes, Gunsmoke, and I go way back. Gunsmoke, the Rifleman, High Chaparral, yes. I have, yeah, we were talking earlier, we were talking about Clint Eastwood, and everyone was saying their favorite Clint Eastwood movie. I said, I can go back farther than that. I can go back to the days of Gil Favor and Rawhide, <laughs> when Clint Eastwood was Rowdy Yates, before he became McCall um, 
or whatever he was in the name, Josie Wells, before those days. So I enjoyed writing about men who were cowboys or from the West. And I started my series of books. And I wrote them really just to entertain my friends, not think that they would get published. And whenever I would go to my class reunion, my friends would ask me, did you ever write a book? I said, yes, but I wrote it and I was through with it. They said, well, no, you should try to get that book published. So I said, well, let me finish at least three of them before I submit them. I got rejected, just like anybody else that say they have submitted a book because I know nothing about writing other than I, there was a story within me. So when I started writing, I knew I was serious about writing as a way to escape. When I got home, after I fed, and this is after I started having the kids, I would sit on the bleachers at their games and I was never a sports person, so I would always have some type of book with me. So I started reading, I started studying, and then I started going to conventions. And I hooked back up with Nora and others who were authors, and they taught us to craft, do workshops. And by the time I resubmitted my book, Kensington Publishing, which is a major publisher in New York, bought offered me a three book contract. I would never forget in New York, I was in New York for the event and I called my husband and I said, they bought my book. He said, you gotta be kidding. <laughs> really? I'm like, yeah, they bought all three of them. Cha-ching, extra money. I think I said that too loud because my son's overheard. By this time, they were in high school, about to go off to college. And in college, you know how the kids call you and they say, Mom, I need this, Dad, I need this. And I told them the same line my mom would tell me. I would ask them this question, do you think money grow on trees? And my son, the youngest one, say, Mom, all you got to do is write another book. <laughs> So evidently he thought I was writing to educate him. So in a way I was because they were blessed to both go to Ivy League colleges. One graduated from Columbia University and the other one from Cornell. So writing to me then became, thank you. Writing then became a way for us to have extra money because I had a full-time job that I enjoy and then writing relaxed me. And I think one reason it relaxed me so much was because at work I was in management. And if anyone has ever been in management, you can only get your people to do so much. <laughs> but I could go home, I could relax, I could get to my computer, and I could create people who would listen to me. <laughs> They did what I wanted them to do. <laughs> they only liked what I wanted them to like. <laughs> and as far as men, the ones that thought they would never, ever, ever fall in love, oh, they fell in love and they <laughs> fell 
hard. Once in a while, I would ask my husband's opinion, because he was a man, and I have to say that a lot of my books, he represents what good, and as far as what, what I see as a big, strong man, loving, kind, and how I felt a woman should be treated. But then I had these guys writing me and say, you know, my wife reads your book. I don't have a problem with that, but you are setting up unrealistic expectations. <laughs> when I kiss her, she expects to faint. <laughs> and that's not real. So yes, it is. You just have to work hard at it. <laughs> it's possible. So I enjoyed reading and writing. I enjoyed creating my characters. And because they were families, they were connecting books. And the next thing you know, I was connecting books. I was connecting families. And BET made my first, one of my first books into a movie, One Special Moment. And I'm still working. I'm still at working and I'm still Miss State Farm because I really believe I was meant to be Miss Corporate America. But you know, God has a way of letting you know what your calling is, and he did. And I finally got a call from a publisher, one of the ones that never ever, um, that always rejected my books, Harlequin. They were the first one, you know, you can't sell the Harlequin, my goodness, that's the romance giant. And every book I would send to them, it was rejected. So basically, when they called me, I was like, wait a minute, when I want to write for them, they didn't want me. Now I've gotten a couple of books out there. They can't keep them on the shelves. Now they're writing, wanting me to write for them. Should I or shouldn't I? And my agent said, yes, you should. <laughs> And we're going to make it worth your while by taking them to the bank. And they did. And I was able to retire after 37 years at the age of 55 with State Farm Insurance. But I had to come home and really get serious about writing every day. And I'm a very structured person because I was used to going into a professional atmosphere. The first couple of months, even when I worked at home, I would dress up just to go to another room and write. And my husband said, can't you just go in your pajamas? I'm like, no, I have to, it was that mentality that I had to be, in order to be successful at whatever I was doing, that I had to basically have a certain persona. And after a while, now, okay, okay, after a while, then the stockings came off, the pantyhose, then the flip-flops replaced the pumps, and then it was like, the idea is just writing the book, being relaxed. But something that stayed with me was if you can conceive it, you can achieve it. If anyone would have told me years ago that I would be standing before you working on my 114th novel that I would have made be the first African-American author 
to make the New York Times and the USA Today and Publisher Weekly bestsellers list, I would not have believed them. But my greatest joy came in, 19, in uh, 2012 when I received the Nora Roberts Lifetime Achievement Award. Because that is the highest honor any romance author can achieve. And in that year, I became the recipient of that award. And people ask, why do you write romance? And my answer to them is, why not? Love stories, knight in shining armor, every woman dream of a fantasy of being saved by some rich guy. <laughs> Even though we know it's fantasy, but so is when, you know, and I have this conversation with men, and I said, why do y'all like Star Trek? Yeah, it's not real. <laughs> we all have what we want in way of our fantasies, and someone asked me, what did I think was the biggest appeal of Fifty Shades of Grey? I'm like, it's an individual thing. Ask one woman, she would tell you one reason. Another woman would tell you another reason. With me, I love happy endings. I love when a fierce woman takes the most untamed beast, the male, and can bring him to his knees. And, they, and I do that in my book. Men who swear they would never, ever, 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 ever get married end up living happily ever after with the woman that they meet and fall in love with. And I'm hoping that I inspire you, if that's your dream, whether it's to write a book, whatever it is, to follow your dream, to believe in yourself. I had to believe in myself and the times that I didn't, I had someone, a very strong man behind me saying, you can do it, who was the wind beneath my wings. But if you don't have that wind, then you have to be, propel yourself just to move up, to do the things that you want to do. I'm proud to say that after BET, another movie was made, a second movie. We had sent my oldest son to college for eight years. He graduated after Columbia, then he went on to Florida State and got a master's in film. And you know, after you send your kids to college, you want to say, okay, you put your money in your kids, you want to see whether they got anything out of the eight years. <laughs> So I went to my husband. I said, you know what? I got all these books. We need to invest in him one more time. My husband said, I think we've invested in him enough. I'm like, one more time. Let me pick a book out and let him see whether or not he can make a movie out of it and whether he could do a good job. And he said, where he's going to get the money? I'm like, we're going to use your money, your 401k. <laughs> You'll get yours before I get mine, so it'll be yours. So
So to the tune of a half million, we invested in the movie. But one thing my husband made me promise that I would be on that set every day to supervise. Because he know when it came to business, I knew business. He said, you're going to be on there every day because I will not lose my money. So I said, okay, we'll do this. At the time, I was not aware that I was going to have a crew of 20, 20-year-olds. 20 because one of the things that we decided to do was to reach out to all the top film schools in the country and ask them to send their top and brightest students here to work on a film, and they did. They didn't have to draft anybody, because you're talking about schools mostly up north during the summer. Kids wanted to come to Florida. The first thing they thought about, oh, the beach. So I had to get instilled in them, you're not here for the beach, you're here to work on a movie. So once we got that understanding, then the movie took off. It was a Christmas movie and we was filming in August. That posed some problems because I needed some people to decorate their houses for Christmas. So. My, the neighbors, I, we bought two houses in the Springfield area, Jacksonville, a film in, and we actually got the neighbors, just so their name could be in the credits, to actually decorate their houses. And at night, the lights came on. So you were seeing Christmas in August. Everything worked out fine. I never meant to put that, send that movie to the big screen. It was going straight to DVD. But something miraculously happened. I knew it was for my readers. And I knew I was only going to make enough copies, it was a lot of copies of DVDs, in order to get my husband's money back. So after the movie, we went straight to DVD. In order to do that, I had to charge $25 a DVD. So my husband thought that was the most ridiculous thing he ever heard because his favorite movie of all time was Avatar. And he only paid $19.99 for Avatar. So how could I expect anyone to pay $25 for a movie, an independent movie? My readers bought so many copies of that movie, it got the attention of Warner Brothers. And the next thing you know, Warner Brothers called and we was working out a contract with Warner Brothers to put that movie that was just supposed to be going to my readers in Walmart, Best Buy, any place movies were sold. Netflix called, we worked out a deal with Netflix. So not only did my son prove what he could do as a director, I got my husband money back. <laughs> and more. So he was happy about that. And I got a call this week. Debbie Allen will be directing my next movie. It's called A Silken Thread. The movie um, based on the book, A Silken Thread. And they're going to start casting for it in January. So you'll be hearing more about that soon. But I bought everyone here a copy of that movie that I made, Truly Everlasting. So you have a complimentary copy of the movie so you can see what <laughs> So you could see what my son did 
what I did, what my husband did. And to show that what you can do when you believe in yourself. So my question to you is, you got it. You're fierce. You got it. Now that you got it, what are you going to do with it? You have to decide what your gift is, what your intent, what do you want to do, and don't waste any time. Go for it. Thank you. So um, I just want to tell you guys very briefly that when um, I first was trying to find speakers for this series, I was asking you know, everybody I knew, all the people in media and everybody, who do you know? Who's the most amazing speaker you know? And so many people recommended Brenda, but I had never met her. So I kind of thought, she's not, she's not going to know what I'm doing. She's not going to want to do it. And I called you up on the phone, like from my car, thinking I'm just going to call her and get rejected and then I'll move on. And she was like, sure, why not? And I was like, oh, okay, well, okay, great. So then we put her on the poster. We had never met, and I was just like ecstatic that she was one of our speakers. And then I realized that I had put a poster out there with her face on it, and we had never actually met, and I had no idea what she was gonna say. And I had a little moment where I was like, oh, what have I done? So, <laughs> so I called Brenda and I said, Brenda, do you, can we go out to lunch? I'd love to meet you. And we had the loveliest lunch, at least for me, I don't know if it was for you, but for me it was amazing. And I became, I think, your biggest fan, although I'm sure there are other people in the audience that will you know, dispute that. But the thing that struck me the most in our conversation and in your talk was that you, you were like pushing those boundaries, right? You were working, you were getting rejected as you first tried to publish, you then got some success, you continued to work, you persevered through, and all of the things that we can look at now and say, oh my gosh, she's having a movie, she's you know published so many books, she has all this success, but you over time continually built on your success and kept pushing forward. So how did you do that? I think because I had so many people behind me. I had readers who wanted more books. And even when I was writing six books a year, I would get this letter from a reader say, you're not writing fast enough. <laughs> and I'm like, really? I think that helped me. I believed in my characters because I wanted to convey good men out there that were treating their women right. And I think that's what made me keep going. So I want to open it up because I know we have some people with questions in the audience. I think Brandy has a mic. So let's take our first question. Hi, Brenda. Hi. My name is JB, and I'm from Jacksonville, and you know me very well. Anyway, um, you always uh, mention the fact that um, this kiss makes a woman pass out. I'm sorry, could you say that again? Talking about the kiss. Oh, yeah. The kiss that makes the woman faint. Can we hear about that? <laughs> okay. I was, um, was due to write a book um, called Delaney Desert Chic. And while I was on a cruise, right before I wrote this book, I was on the cruise writing the book, taking notes and everything. Um, this couple came up to me and they were from Greece and they were just wanting, wanted to know what I was doing because I was observing people and I told them I was writing about um, a romance story. 
So they ask me, well, do you know about Eris? And I'm like, no, what is that? They say that's the kiss from Greek. It's a type of French kiss that will make a woman pass out when she's the recipient of this kiss. So I'm like, do tell. <laughs> and so after our conversation, I wasn't sure whether the lady was for real or not. But she said, you know, she took my address. She said, I'm going to send you information on the kiss. So when she sent it, it was in Greek. So I had to go to restaurant after restaurant, say, could you translate this for me? And I finally found one that said, sure, what is it? And I told him. And while he was reading it, he would look at me. I'm like, what's going on? And he said, you really want to know what this is? I'm like, yes. So he said, I have my wife tell you. <laughs> so anyway, she explained to me again about the kiss. And so I put it in the book. And it was such a beautiful scene in the book. But I got a lot of backlash because I had all these men writing to me and said, my wife read your book. Now they want me to kiss them and make them pass out. Tell them this is not for real. I'm like, yes, it's for real. You just got to work at it. You got to learn how to do it. So um, the kiss is out there. A lot of people have since researched it. And that book um, became one of the top sellers for Harlequin. So how do you research to find out about the kiss? Aris, A-R-I-S, A-R-I-S. Mm -hmm. All right, I think she's coming to you, Clarissa. Hi. Hi. I'd like to know if your books are going to be available in audio. Yes, I have over 20-some books in audio, and there will be more. Um, Harlequin just signed... Harlequin just signed on, uh, Delaney is in audio, the one about the kiss, it's in audio, uh, under audible.com. If you go in and put Brenda Jackson, you have a good 20 or 30 of my novels. Are you the narrator? To, I beg your pardon? Are you the narrator? Are you the narrator? No, I'm not the narrator. They I just listened to Bane on audible.com. Oh, oh. I did. And it's a little hot and steamy, I'm not yeah, going to lie. it is. <laughs> Yes, it is. Bane is, yeah. And what was special about Bane, he's a Westmoreland. And when I introduced Bane, he was the first, originally introduced Bane, he was only 17. Hot-headed, and he had to go and become a Navy SEAL. So Bane is about him coming back home looking for his long-lost love. So yeah, it is hot and heavy and steamy and all that good stuff. <laughs> Okay, go ahead. Hi. Can you tell me how old you were when you wrote your first book, when you had your first book published? Let me just do My first book came out in 1995. So last year I celebrated my 20th anniversary as an author. In the year 2013, I was celebrating my 100th novel. So from 2013... <laughs> so from 2013 until now, I've written 14 new novels, 13 new novels. All right, I saw another hand up. Yep, right here. 
Thanks for coming. I really Thank enjoyed you. it. Um, I have a book in my heart, but I don't know how to start. You have a book in your heart, but she doesn't know, know how, how to, start. to start. Okay. You determine is it fiction, nonfiction? It's about so it's non. It's nonfiction. It's a true story, your biography. No one can write that book but you. Okay. So what I would suggest is decide what information you want to put in that book about you. Do you want to start from your early years, from childhood up to now? Is, are you just going to talk about a certain aspect of your life? No, oh, okay, the time frame. And then what you do is make notes and then you decide how you want to put it in the chapters, how you're going to break up the chapters, and then you sit down the to the computer and write as Nora would say the hardest part of writing is sitting your butt in the chair and doing it once you do it then your thoughts will flow and it may not be right but you can always go back and that's why we have an edit and you edit and you write from your heart and then I would say now it's so much easier to publish than when it was in 1995 where you had to be rejected. Now, because of Amazon, you can get a book out in minutes after you write the book, of course. <laughs> but as far as getting it out there, you could get a book out there. Amazon now cater to independent authors where you really don't need a publisher. There's only six major publishers in this country, but now more authors are writing independently through Amazon and Barnes and Nobles where you don't have to do it so you don't have to worry about okay once I finish this book am I going to be accepted or rejected you can't be you just have to write the book hi there thank you um, question do you recommend just writing from the heart or writing an outline and then going from there whether write straight in the book or do an outline correct I have never done an outline for a book. I've never done an outline. Not saying that's wrong, but I have author friends who have to write an outline, have to know what's gonna happen in every chapter. When I do, you probably heard what they call the dreaded synopsis. When I send a synopsis in, my publisher knows that may not be the book when I finish with it. Because <laughs> I'm just giving them something just to say I'm writing this book. But um, whichever one that you're comfortable with, if you think that you want, you have to collect your details and an outline, then you do it. Case in point, I just finished a series that came out last year and this book made the highest mark on um, New York Times, made number 11 on New York Times. It was part of a series called um, the Granger series and the book was A Lover's Vow. It was a murder mystery. I did not know who the killer was myself <laughs> until I almost ended the book. I'm like, you were the killer. And people would write me and ask me, and I had fun with them guessing. And I would tell them, I don't even know who the killer is yet. So how can y'all know who the killer is yet? And so far, and a Brenda Jack any Brenda Jackson readers in here can correct me. So far, 
no one has written me and said they figured out who the killer was. And this book made one of the, um, was selected by Essence Magazine as one of the best books of 2015 because so far no one has read that book, figured out who the killer was. That's awesome. Even the author. Huh? <laughs> now, I, at the end, I knew who it was. But if you read it, you know, you would say, oh, yeah, it's going to be this person. It's going to be that person. In the end, I fooled you. It was nobody that you thought. It was the person that you least expected, which is typically how it is. But I had it where it was the person you really least expected. So I know I saw a lot of hands up. So do you want to just take one or two more? Yes. Okay. I think for me, I always let my husband know that he was the man. Because I even teased him. I said, okay, in the middle of the night, if I call out for Justin, he's just a character in the book. <laughs> I'm having a Justin moment. I always made sure, even though I was working full time, I always made what I call our time. I never wanted my success, whether it was professional or as a writer, to interfere with what I had. And so I was romantic. And you know, men, they don't start out being romantic. I remember for Valentine's, and I told my husband, my birthday is February 14th, February 2nd. I said, now don't think you could give me one card and say it's going to suffice for birthday and Valentine's Day, because it doesn't work that way. I want a birthday card, and I want a Valentine card. And don't bring me no Valentine card in a paper bag that you forget to sign, just satisfying that, you need a that I need a Valentine card. So you have to basically... It's a learning process with both of you. And then what you have to do is still be able to do what you want to do, but still make sure you have time for them. St. Augustine used to be our getaway. And sometimes he didn't know when we would get away. Because when he came home from work, I would have bags packed. And I'm like, well, we need me time. And I think a lot of women, they are so driven, they forget that there's another part of them. You're going to always be two different people because you think differently. And that's when you have to basically um, do the art of compromise to know when you could talk things out. And we had two teenage boys and we was a team because kids will try to play you. If you say no, they'll go to daddy thinking they say yes. So we had to get together every so often and say, yeah, we are team. We, us against them. <laughs> and we basically, and that's how they knew. Don't even bother. Mama say no, dad going to say no too. So we built that firm relationship. And I know that, I knew that no matter how busy my day got, that I had a loving, supportive husband. But then I let him know that he had a loving and supportive wife as well. <laughs> All right, we have time for one more in the back and then we're gonna wrap up. Hi, I was wondering if you have chosen a location for the forthcoming film and how you connected with Debbie Allen. 
Oh gosh, Debbie Allen connected with me. I was surprised. Um, someone, Debbie has a dance team, a dance group, and she was on her way to Australia. They were performing uh, the Nutcracker in Australia. And someone gave her my book because it was a long flight. And someone gave her my book to read. And when she got back to the States, she contacted um, my agent. And my agent told, you know, want to know if I interested in having Debbie Allen um, do the movie. I had a, what I call a bad experience with BET and that the book, the movie, was nothing like the book. Very little stayed in the book. And I was told, but that's how it is. They take your book and then they change it so much that you may not recognize the book, the movie. My readers were very upset because that book, One Special Moment, was a beautiful, well-written book, and they made it something different. So that's why I would never, and I told myself I would never, ever let anyone else make a movie of my book unless it was me. That's why I grabbed at the chance when my son wanted to do it, when I wanted him to do it. But that was the stipulation that I would have to read and approve the script. And he had to go back and forth before I approved the script because it had to be by the book. If you see the movie and if you ever buy the book, you could literally open the book and follow the movie. It was just that much by the book. Because I feel like I owed it to my readers who were disappointed in my first movie. So when I talked to Debbie Allen, um, I told her that that was the one stipulation that the book, the movie had to be by the book. I know what artistic liberties are. I know that there's no way because of introspection you can have 100%. But I want at least 75 to 90%. And she said, well, we'll work on the script together. And she hired someone to write the script. And anytime there was a deviation, she would call and say, this is what I think we need to do. Will you be in agreement? And because it was nothing that drastically changed the book. In fact, I liked some of her ideas, honestly. And so um, that's how we got started. So the script has been written. Dave Larson was the script writer. And so we're on our way. I hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast. If you did, please take just a moment out of your day to rate and review us. It will help us reach even more women with inspiring stories from fierce women all over the world.